Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, psychology student, wife, and mama four. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey, everyone. I wanted to give you guys a heads up that we do talk about suicide in this episode. It is not all the gory details, but uh, we do mention it. Okay, enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Rebecca. Rebecca Hyde is a professional volunteer, military spouse, mom, friend, sister, humorist, and mental health advocate. She does a little bit of everything, all while managing her mental health struggles with bipolar disorder. It's been a rough road, but she makes it through every day by giving herself a little grace, a lot of humor, and the daily reminder that it's okay not to be okay. Yeah, that's every day. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Every damn day. (laughs) Absolutely. Actually, my favorite, one of my favorite songs is I'm Not Okay by My Chemical Romance. (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. That should be my, like my mantra when I get up in the morning. I forgot about that song. Yes, I have it on my uh, personal Facebook profile. I have it as my song that's at the top. Because Facebook has started doing that, kind of like oh, my no, like MySpace. Oh no! <laughs> Unfortunately, unlike MySpace, it doesn't automatically play, which is kind of disappointing to me. But <laughs> oh, I know, right? Because people would—it's like your own intro. They click on your your link, and it's like, oh, that person. <laughs> that person's batshit crazy. Okay. Yes, they're my kind of people. Damn it! Let me hook up with that one. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Rebecca, I always start off when we're talking about mental health with when was the first time you realized something's not quite right? Oh boy. So the very (laughs) first time, uh, when I, when I first started battling depression, I was actually 19 years old. Um, my husband and I got married young. So, you know, we kind of jumped into the Navy life and, uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I've never had anybody ask me this particular question. It's funny thinking about it. We had a four post bed and he was driving me crazy. My husband was just out of the blue. And a lot of people's depression manifests itself with sadness and, you know, you're crying and you're really upset, but sometimes mine manifests as anger mm. and I get mad And I'm not an angry person, typically. I'm just happy, kind of, you know, little Miss Sunshine most days, as long as the bipolar medicine's working. But back then, before I was medicated and before I was diagnosed with depression, I was just mad all the time. And I remember standing at the end of the bed one night, and my husband had completely pissed me off about something. I mean, it was something little bitty. And I wanted to take one of the posts off the bed and beat him in the head with it like a baseball bat. The very next day, I was in Pascagoula, Mississippi. The very next day, I went to the doctor and told him what was going on. And he said, you have depression. Sit right here. I'm going to the pharmacy. I will bring you some medication back. (laughs) I think he was scared that my husband might be a domestic violence case if we didn't do something. So that that was the very first indication that something was awry. 
Yes. Um, did you do well with the depression medication? Because when I was diagnosed with major depression and put on depression medication, it made me worse. Like um, the first one did. Um, the first one, I was more angry than before. And my husband was just like, dude, you have got to mm. do something. This is not working for you. Um, so we tried, you know how it is with mental health. It's like a chemical. It's a chemistry experiment is all it is. Basically. It's like, let's put this in a Petri dish and see what you can down that works for you. So um, we tried about three different ones before we found one that finally worked. But, you know, since then, I mean, it's been 20 years. And since then, of course, you know, I don't know if they just stopped working with your body or what it is, but I've had to go on different ones. But the first one worked for probably about five years and it worked. It worked ish I should say because with with being bipolar which we didn't know that then you need more than just an antidepressant right so for years I just kind of managed it and made it through the day I mean that kept the anger at bay but the emotional ups and downs it really didn't help because you know we didn't know we didn't know that I had bipolar disorder so but uh yeah that was that was my first indication that stuff wasn't right so I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder, not by a mental health professional, by my PCM, which looking back, I'm like, she should have, she should have referred me to a mental health professional. She certainly, oh, absolutely. And she shamed me when I came to her and said, these medications, this medication is not working. It's making me worse. Like it's making me more suicidal than I was before I came to you. And she said, that doesn't happen. That's like a one in a million effect. Well, now looking back, I'm like, oh, it's because I was bipolar. And not- exactly. <laughs> I wasn't on the right medicine, you no. wit. And yeah. And instead, she just told me to stop taking it and didn't refer to me, refer me to a mental health professional. So I went uh, misdiagnosed from like, I think I was 20 until mm-hmm. 33 because it was oh, actually 32. Because I wasn't quite 33 when I got diagnosed. It was February 14th of 2019, Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And my husband was living up here in Connecticut. And we were waiting for the kids to get out of school for me to move up to Connecticut. And I called him up and I was like, hey. (laughs) By the way. (laughs) By the way. And he was just like... I don't, I don't think so. And I was like, oh yeah, just read the art. I sent him an article and I was like, just read this, just read it. It'll make total sense. (laughs) Yep. Yep. See, I didn't get, now I had the ups and downs, the really bad anxiety. And looking back, I had so many bouts of mania over the years. And I mean, it caused us a lot of problems, Mm -hmm. like very impulsive spending. Like I would just. Mm-hmm. I would just spend, 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 but it's not big spending. It's not like, oh, let me go drop $300 on a purse because I can no, never do that myself. Up. Yes. It's like, ooh, let me go to Dollar Tree and spend 20 bucks and come out feeling like a damn queen because I've got 10 bags of shit I don't even need. <laughs> um, you know, it was, it was that kind of mania that led to a lot of problems with us that and just very impulsive things like things I would make decisions on. And then I look back and I'm like, Oh man, that was not a very good decision. Yeah. Um, so it makes sense now, but as far as the suicide, I didn't get to that point until 
after my diagnosis because I felt I was, I was kind of relieved to know what was going on, to know that I wasn't actually crazy. Like, you know, like when I say crazy, I mean like to the point of psychosis that I needed to be institutionalized. I wasn't that there was a name, there was a reason there was, there was, there was something going on with me. So I was relieved in that sense, but then I was embarrassed. I was pissed off at myself. I felt like, you know, now there's no end in sight. I will be on medication for the rest of my life. I will have to practice self-care and it is really a daily battle. It's not something that you ever forget. And yeah, I mean, it's in your face. You wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, wow, what kind of day am I going to have today? And so when it really hit me that my kids are going to have to live with a mother that is bipolar or that I'm sorry, I hate saying that that has bipolar. I say it all the time. I'm like, I'm bipolar. (laughs) Exactly. I do. And then I have to catch myself. Um, But really, I am, you know, I, I go up and down. But but when it hit me that my kids are going to have to live with this for the rest of their life, my husband has to put up with this as, as long as he chooses to, you know, it brought me down to a point to where I was like, my family's better off without me. You know, mm-hmm. they are better off dealing with a normal quote unquote person than having to deal with this. And that was the absolute lowest. I remember people say they're depressed all the time. Sometimes, no, you're not. You're just having a damn bad day. Come talk to me when you can't get out of the bed and brush your hair Mm -hmm. because it's a physical ache to get out of the bed to do anything when you are that depressed. And I was there. And my husband was like, look, you know, we had a long talk and I just laid it all out there to him. And after talking with him and um, what, what pulled me out of it actually was my then, um, I want to say she was nine crawled in my lap. And of course she didn't know that I was to that point, but she crawled in my lap and said, you are the best mommy ever. And I love you. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what I would do if something ever happened to you. And thank God for that baby. And for my husband, because they pulled me out of it, my daughter unknowingly, but they pulled me out of it. And that's kind of what has led to my passionate mental health advocacy at this point, um, especially as a military spouse, because, you know, we go through so much on our own with our active duty members deployed. We have to keep our shit together. (laughs) I mean, we do. We don't have a choice because nobody else is going to do it for us. And it's hard. It is damn hard. And unfortunately, like you said, you know, your military provider shaming you and oh no this was uh this was not a military provider oh not a military provider okay oh this was when i was 20 so it was before the military oh yeah okay well still (laughs) that sucks even more but um i know in the military a lot of times that happens or they they brush it off like oh you're just having a bad day or oh it's just postpartum depression it'll go away you know if you've had a baby And I don't feel like they take it seriously in the mental spouse or in the military spouse community. Um, And I feel like that stigma for military spouses keeps a lot of us from going and getting help. Mm. Um, We feel like everybody sees us as 10 feet tall and bulletproof and, 
well, if they know we have a problem, they're going to think we can't handle things back at home. And how's that going to affect my husband's job? And what are they going to think? And um, it, it I plays think they a keep a close eye on me. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I think they, well, you the know, amount husband, of like people that like, uh, amount of people that I shouldn't say are in charge, uh, and the amount of people who's who have some sort of sway uh, that are friends <laughs> on Facebook, you know, that I'm just like, y'all are keeping a close eye on me because you know I'm batshit crazy. <laughs> you know what they're doing? They're waiting on your song to change on your profile. <laughs> That's what the hell they're doing. They're watching to see what mood you're in because they're like, oh shit, if she changes this to let the bodies hit the floor, it's <laughs> over. <laughs> It's over. Let's move. It's time to unass the air. <laughs> That's how they're watching you. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can only imagine what they think. I don't care. I've become very vocal about my mental health problems uh-huh. and about the fact that I have bipolar disorder and I don't give a shit anymore. I'm just like, what do you, you want to judge me? That's fine. I have to live with the things that I did before I was like diagnosed and medicated for the rest of my life. Your judgment really is minimal compared to what I have to live with inside my head. Oh yeah. It's not going to keep me from losing a drop of sleep. It's really not. Um, but for the longest time I struggled with it, even before the, the diagnosis, because I did worry about things. You know, I was a, I was an ombudsman. So a lot of people knew me. I had a lot of um, higher ranking officials that I would have to, you know, deal with and meet with and things like that. And they were all amazing. I never, I never had a bad experience as an ombudsman. Our captain and his wife was absolutely amazing. And she kind of knew that things weren't right with me. And she helped me during the deployment um, just kind of get through, you know, we were there for each other and, um, she would ask me, Becca, have you, have you taken your medicine today? You know, not in a bad way, not, oh, shit, yeah. she forgot her pills, but she would help me and she would notice when things were kind of off because when you do have bipolar disorder, you need that, that sounding block. You need somebody because mm-hmm. you don't realize when things are off. You're like, oh, life is great. You know, <laughs> you is it the coffee or is it the hypomania? I don't know. Exactly. It's like, oh shit, I'm so hyper. I'm hearing colors, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she would kind of keep me balanced and she'd say, you know, Becca, something's just not right. So then, you know, thankfully my friend's, and everyone has been very, very supportive. Um, but it did take me a while to open up about it because I was embarrassed and I was mad at myself. You know, I felt like, why can't I handle these things that everybody else handles like it's nothing? What's wrong with me that I have to be medicated, that I have this, you know, this illness? What have I done that I can't handle it? You know, little bitty things. Um so I dealt with a lot of shame and a lot of anger when it came to being diagnosed. Um, now I have decided that I'm not going to let this illness run me and I advocate and talk to others about it and try to get them to get the help that they need and help them realize you're not alone and it's okay to not be okay. Yes. And for anybody who doesn't 
No, it's not familiar with the military. The ombudsman is the liaison between the families and the chain of command. Uh, so that's a big responsibility. And I was, I was at one point in time on a FRG, which is a family readiness group, which is kind of like the fun, like doing things for the family and stuff. Stressful as all hell though. So much. Oh yes. Oh my God. Drama, the drama. So much drama. (laughs) Like I swear, like every, and I was talking to, uh, one of my, uh, husband's, um, I call them minions. That's just so offensive. <laughs> one, of his, one of his subordinates, I don't know, one of his dudes in his division. <laughs> his wife, I do call them minions. <laughs> oh, that was great. <laughs> one of uh, the, the spouses, one of the wives, and I was just like, she's brand spanking new. Like, this is their first command. And I was just like, bless her. Listen military life is drama like every single command we've been at there has been drama every single one i was yep. like just keep your ass right out of it <laughs> it, gets yep. it gets ugly it gets the, very ugly the snarkiness and this is grown women and it's like right. are we back in are we in elementary school no i had one on this boat who literally was throwing my my transparency around things in my face and she's like well not all of us share our entire lives and I'm like fuck you man like it is a big like people you people may think I overshare about my bipolar disorder but I've had so many people reach out and message me about mental health problems so many because I share so openly actually I've had two people I know get diagnosed with bipolar disorder because they went to their um, their mental health provider was like, listen, my friend has this and I have the exact same symptoms. Yep. And I think, and guess what they did, you know, cause I'm type two and type two is, is predominantly depression. And the, mm-hmm. the hypomanias are, are not like, it's, it wasn't noticeable before I had the diagnosis. Like mm-hmm. I, I just seemed to have like a lot of energy and be hyperactive sometimes. And Yes, I wanted to party. I wanted to spend lots of money. I you think to- you're superwoman. I you yeah. think you could fly. <laughs> <laughs> I would set these big obnoxious goals. I started two, two businesses. Hypomanic. <laughs> yeah, everything sounds like a good idea. It everything. does. Until I would, I would be hypomanic. And because before the meds, I would be hypomanic for months. Like, and then the problem is, is I do really good. I build up this business and then I'd get depressed. And there it went. And there it went. Because then I didn't want to do anything. I didn't even want to get out of the bed. I mean, Frank, right now I'm mildly depressed. And yesterday I just stayed in my clothes all day. Didn't take a shower and didn't give a shit. I had to force myself to take a shower today. Cause I'm like, I have a podcast interview. I should probably not look like a troll today. I did the same thing, so it's all right. We could have looked like trolls together. I wouldn't have judged you at all. And nobody sees this. <laughs> right? I hopped out of bed at 9.30, and I told my husband, I said, oh, my God, I'm talking to Megan today. I got to do something with this shit. <laughs> and that's mild, like, mild depression. Like, when I'm severely depressed, I will literally stay in the same clothes for 
days. Yeah. Shower, stink real bad, barely function. I, my kids are the main reason that when I when I was severely depressed that I got out of bed and did anything. Like, Can you imagine if we didn't have kids to pull us through? I mean, we say that they are little pains in the asses, and they are, they but are. we love them. <laughs> but you know what? My kids pull me through. Mm-hmm. They make me have a reason to have to get out of bed and have to do these things because I can't imagine. Can you imagine a military spouse? Their active duty member is gone on deployment and they don't have anybody. They don't even have a cat mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they're going through this stuff and essentially alone, especially if they just got to a new duty station, they don't know anybody. Um, those are the ones that my heart hurts for the most. Mm-hmm um it's worse right now because we're in the middle of a pandemic and you're really not getting out and doing anything well most of us aren't getting out and doing anything i feel like this pandemic is worse on people's mental health than it is their physical health almost you know i feel like it is more unhealthy and and, oh it pisses me off because i've heard people say oh you're depressed anyway. So this must be perfect for you. You know, this is the life you want. You're not having to deal with people. Hell no, it's not. We don't want that. Even when we're depressed, you still need people to pull you out of your hole. And I've had friends that would come and bombard me and just, you know, living on a military base, you just have those, those friends that will come over in their pajamas for a cup of coffee and everybody has a key to your house or they, you just don't lock. I didn't lock my doors in Hawaii and my girlfriends would just come popping over, you know, drag me out of bed, get your ass up. Let's have a cup of coffee. Um, and I felt better just after that little bit of human interaction. And you don't get that now you, with this COVID, you don't have anybody that can come and pull you out. You know, I mean, you can, they can call you. But yeah, all you got to do is hit you. the fuck you, but you can hit the fuck you button. And it <laughs> you know, it's different. It's different when they're in your face, pulling the cover off of you saying, Hey, let's go downstairs. I've already started your coffee pot. I brought donuts. Let's go. <laughs> right. So. At the beginning of the pandemic, when everything was locked down, I mean, I live in Connecticut. So like our governor was preemptive because we border the city, like New York city and New York city was like, out of control oh, yeah so like yeah, our governor bad. was like let's shut this shit down and when everything was shut down i got severely depressed and this girl i had posted on facebook about it and this girl um messaged me and she's like oh i'm depressed too and i was like oh i'm so sorry but this is i'm telling the story as a warning to those who don't fucking get it then she went on this whole story about how she lost her brother to suicide and it's really hard and started talking about suicide. And I'm like, I not, not in the place to talk about suicide. If I'm depressed, that's a really, no. really bad thing to talk to a depressed person about suicide. It's a trigger. It's, it's a, a trigger. trigger. Yeah. And I'm sharing that story for anybody who's listening because I just kept, I kept my responses short to her. And I was like, I'm really sorry you're going through that. I, you know, I recommend you talk to a mental health professional trying to be like, shut the fuck up because I'm severely depressed and you are going to make me go there. Like yeah. this is going to trigger me even worse. I can't, I can't talk about it. And, um, because I had, I I've had suicidal ideation. I've had an, yes. att- I had an attempt in 2013 and that's what forced 
me to go see a therapist for the first time. Actually, my spouse did. He said, listen, no, he said, because I was like you, I was like, I'm not good enough. And life would be better off without me and all this stuff. And he was like, I won't stand in your way if a year from now you want to do this, but only if you go see a therapist, he's like, you need to see, you need to get help. And, and I didn't, and, and therapy helped me a lot, but I still was misdiagnosed. So it was still crazy. A, a roller coaster ride. Right. So I'm sharing that story for those who are listening, who don't understand the mental space that we get into that might think like, oh yeah, this no big deal. I'm depressed too. Are you really though? <laughs> or are you having a bad day? You are know? you having are a you bad, having day? A bad are day? Are you sad? Like, yes. Are you sad? Like sadness and depression are not the same thing. They are not. And for someone that has the situation that we have, that has a bipolar, it pisses me off when people, they joke about it. They're like, oh, I'm having a bipolar day. No, you're not. The weather's yep. so bipolar. Does that not get you? That pisses me the fuck off. It instantly, instantly pisses me off. It's like a kid. It's like, you know, another thing that, you know, just as a mom that pisses you off is whenever you're holding your toddler and they headbutt you in the nose and it sends you into rage. Yeah. That is what it does to me when somebody says, oh, the weather's bipolar. Or, oh, I'm, I've slipped into a bipolar day. You don't or, even know. This chick's bipolar because she's hot and cold with me. And I'm like, is she really bipolar? Because she's probably not. And if she was, she's, it's not for the people that want to say that they have bipolar and they're like, Oh, I'm having a bipolar day. It's not something you would want. Right. You know, for everybody listening, this is not something you won't believe me. Don't even speak it into existence. Don't talk about it. It's not fun. It's really not. I mean, well, the hypomania is fun. Cause I like yeah, well, all the energy I get. <laughs> It's Except fun. I get very irritable, like very, I will snap like real fast. Like yep. you piss me off and like trigger, like I am yep. just, ah! Yep. It's fun unless it's fun if you can control it to a point. Right. If, if you got to go spend them 20 bucks, like they're like, you're at a strip club, just handing, throwing out ones, you know? Yeah. Let it rain. <laughs> Let it rain. <laughs> If you're out there doing that, the reaper, it's fun at the time. It yeah. totally is. And you don't even care about the repercussions. No. I don't care that my husband is going to be pissed off. And then he'll ask me, what the hell are you doing? What are you thinking? Why did you do this? And I have to tell him, I don't, I know. don't know. I don't know. And he's like, I, it's like talking to a kid with you. It's, it's like talking to our 11 year old, but I can't help it because I genuinely don't know. I've explained to people the impulses before that, like, if you try to ignore them, they build and build and build and build until you give in. And that's how it feels is like, if you don't give in to the impulses, they don't go away. They no, just they don't. get stronger and stronger until you like, are like, fine, fuck it. I'm going to go buy this shit. And you know what it is at that point? It's go big or go home. Right. Instead of spending 20 bucks at the Dollar Tree, I'm going to go drop 400 at the mall. So, yeah, I mean, you have to, when it, I, I think about it like this, it's almost like binge eating. Which me. I do that too. Oh, me too. <laughs> it's bad. And it's bad yeah. for me at night. I was so desperate for something sweet last night. I've gained the COVID 4.0. I have the COVID 40. And 
I was so desperate for sweets last night. Oh my God. I took a piece of loaf bread and put pancake syrup on it. <laughs> and I was sneaking it out of the pantry because I knew my husband was going to be like, really? Well, binge eating, really for me, there? binge eating for me started when my parents divorced when I was around the age of 13. Well, they split up when I was around the age of 13. And that's when it started because it just eating how it felt good it felt good and it helped me feel better and it helped me not feel alone and feel depressed and want to kill myself like because mm-hmm. i mean at 13 that was my first suicidal ideation was mm. and um because i've dealt with depression since i was six or seven but 13 when my parents split up that was my first suicide and food is your friend a lot yeah. of times when you're that way. I was up to 300 pounds and I actually ended up having gastric bypass surgery because my doctor said, you have got to do something. You're obviously not going to do it on your own, but when you're 300 pounds, you hurt like hell. If you try to get on a treadmill and your knees say, sit down, you know, and, and I was, I did have to, to do something. So I had gastric bypass surgery, which I'm forever thankful for. Um, but now I do see that I'm putting on the weight again and, and I can't blame it on COVID. I can, but, um, I, I mean, I knew that I was putting it on. Um, and I need to lose that for my own mental health because I beat right. myself up about it now. Mm-hmm. Every day I get up, I'm like, man, I need to go to the gym, man. I really don't need that piece of loaf bread with pancake syrup on it. I mean, I feel you. I was a fitness coach, like fitness coach for several years. That was one of my businesses. And I am nowhere. (laughs) I'm a good like 70 or 80 pounds heavier than I was when I was a fitness coach. So that I I see these pictures pop up in my memories. I'm like, fuck that bitch. (laughs) Oh, I know. I see mine too. And I'm like, oh, look, I used to be able to see my collarbone. (laughs) I know it's there. I just can't see it anymore. <laughs> but I yeah, mean, it's that, a, a, you know, it was for me when I, I was a fitness coach is very unhealthy because I clung to, instead of binge eating, I clung to the diet and the working out and was obsessive about it. Like would just, I mean, I was, I was, I got really, really so small, too small too small. All, everything was popping out. And, uh, yeah, it was just, and now looking back, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Hypomanic think I can, you know, get down to 110 pounds when I'm five foot six. <laughs> See now when I was hypomanic, I dropped weight like crazy. I did. And you know, that's another thing that's kind of crossed my mind lately. I'm like, you know, I could get off of that one medicine that stops mania just for about six months and drop that weight back down again. But what else Um, are you going to do during that six months? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather be chunky monkey than, than go through that again. And do you find that you get, I know you said when you were manic, when you were hypomanic, you did the, the fitness thing. Do you find that in general, do you obsess with certain things when you're hypomanic and then oh, yeah. all of a sudden it goes away and you yeah. don't care about it anymore? Yeah. <gasps> See, I do that too. And yeah. my husband's like, you are obsessed with this. And it's one little, it could be like the last time I was obsessed with broccoli and hummus. Like <laughs> just 
just for real, like something that stupid. But every day I had to have my broccoli and hummus every day, every single day. And then all of a sudden, eh, I don't even like it anymore. I don't ever want to see broccoli and hummus again. Or, you know, every day, uh, just little bitty dumb things like, oh, I have to shave my legs every day. I have to, I have to. And then all of a sudden, okay, I don't have to anymore. You know, or, ooh, I have to go to the store every single day and get something to drink on the way to work. I have to. I cannot, I can't drive by the store because I'm going to turn around and come back. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I don't care anymore. Now, those are, those are silly, dumb little things, but that's the things that you get obsessed with and you can't not do them. It's like the impulse. It just keeps building and building and building. And then all of a sudden, boom. So, but yeah, and then when I'm not hypomanic, I don't get that obsession with things. No, I'm pretty sure I was hypomanic when I started this podcast almost four years ago. <laughs> but it's great, but it is amazing, and you've kept it going, and it's just great. I love it. Thank you. There's like, a lot of times I'm just like, I want to let this go. I'm done. I'm done. I don't want to no, do this anymore. But then I was it. like, I, then I think I put so much time and effort, blood, sweat, and tears into this podcast. I'm not letting it go. And thank God I don't make those decisions when I'm like low because like I've been depressed and I'm like, fuck this podcast. And actually like all of 2000, all of 2020, I did podcast interviews mostly every other week because I was sick of it. But now I'm like, oh, I love it again. Not because I'm hypomanic, but because I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> because I have that time to like mull it over and find my love for it again. But I'm pretty sure I was hypomanic when I came up the idea for the podcast. I went, went to my friend Jules, who was my co-host in the beginning of the podcast. And I was like, I want to do a podcast. And she was like, okay. I was like, do you want to do it with me? And she was like, sure. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you do it. And if you ever get to that point again, where you're like, eh, I don't want to do it, call me, just call me. I'll put my foot in your ass and remind <laughs> you, Hey, there are some of us that need this release. We need well, all this. I can think is it's going to look good on a grad school applications. <laughs> hey, hey, and hey, you might get picked up by some some big organization, some big you know rich person that wants to sponsor you, and you may be rolling in the dough. Give me all the get money. Get on here and talk. All there the money. You go. There you Show go. Show me get the money. There. Show me the money. It's and yeah. purely out of love at this point in time because I make no money off this podcast. No, no. But it it is a good out, I think. It's a it good, is. it helps us, especially for people like us, it helps us get out of our heads. Mm -hmm. And because being in your head when you have bipolar disorder is not a good place to be. No. It's really not because you start overthinking. You do start obsessing about dumb shit like hummus and broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> And you start questioning, I question reality sometimes. I'm like, man, did I do that? Did I, like I get forgetful. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's bad. It's bad to be in that place. And it's another thing I think that's important when you do have bipolar disorder is finding your triggers, yes. knowing what those triggers are and staying away from them. And for me, one of my hardest ones is I used to love Danielle Steele. I was a diehard romantic, but they would make me sad. Yeah. And I had to stop. I had to stop watching the news because I would stay mad. Especially oh, I can't when watch I, the news. Mm -mm. Nope. Cannot watch the mm -mm. news. I don't read sad stuff. My daughter 
one of her biggest emotions that she enjoys for some reason is sad. She enjoys that sad emotion and then followed by the happy. So she will come to me and be like, Oh mommy, you got to read this. It's so good. And she'll hand it to me and it's starting off with sad shit. I'm like, what are you doing? I don't want to see that. What? Why are you listening to this sad music? Give it away. <laughs> and, but it is a trigger for me. I cannot do sadness. I can't watch sad movies. I can't read sad books. All of that stuff is a trigger for me. So, you know, you just I think part of it is learning those triggers and staying away from them. And a lot of people, I don't know if they don't know how to figure out their triggers or if, if they're just, if they don't know they have triggers. I've had people be triggers before. Oh, my mom is a trigger for me. I do not have a relationship with her. Oh, she sent see. me a letter um, for Christmas and I was a fucking wreck. I was just like, I was so angry and so upset and like, like just why, why can't you leave me alone? And, and if you're listening, mom, why can't you leave me alone <laughs> and just let me live my life? Um, and it was like really manipulative and trying to make me feel sorry for her and all of these things where I was just so angry because I was just like, why do you do this? Like I thought, so when I, I stopped having a relationship with her, I said, um, I laid, I laid it out in a letter because my husband said, never call her and tell her these things because she'll twist it. If you uh -huh. lay it out in a letter, it's much harder for her to twist it. So in the letter, I was like, do not contact me. Do not email me. Do not text me. Do not call me. Do not mail me. And she's, I've had to block her on my phone because she doesn't respect that. Thank God she doesn't have my email address. Um, and she sends, she sent me shit in the mail this whole time. I, I cut her off last summer in 2019 and it was like really manipulative about like, you know, with everything going on, we don't know how long we're going to live and no. nothing, I'm going to die, but I'd really like to have a relationship with my grandchildren. And, um, you know, I, I've paid for all of my mistakes. I, you know, I shouldn't keep being punished as if me not talking to her is a punishment. I'm not punishing her. I'm protecting myself because last time I talked to her, she told me she wished I was never born. So, yeah. So this is just, she's told me that multiple times in my lifetime. So like, she is the kind of person that will throw my past in my face who will, she says she's just kidding, but she'll bring up like, and say really mean things about me. And she's like, I'm just kidding. You know, I'm just kidding. I'm like, no, you're actually a bitch. Um, you know, yeah, tell, a big me one. I, tell me I wish she wishes I wasn't born. She blames me for how her life is. She literally said, I wish I'd never met your dad. And I wish you'd never been born because my life wouldn't have been, my life wouldn't have been ruined. And I was just like, I'm a, I, I'm, I did not choose to be born. I did not choose to, I mean, I'm glad she didn't abort me, but like, I did not choose to be born. And if you're going to blame a child, I'm 34 years old. You're going to blame me for 34 years for ruining your life. I'm not the one with the problem. You are. And I told her like, you know, if you go see us, I think you have problems. I know you have mental health problems. Um, I know all these things. You need to see a therapist. You need to get help. You've had trauma. I want you to heal. And if you go see a therapist and you and do the work and take responsibility for your shit, I will have a relationship with you, but we're not there. And she has not gotten the help. And instead she sends me manipulative letters in the mail as if like, and I read that letter only because I had hope that she was going to tell me she went to therapy. That was the reason I read it. And it triggered the fuck out of me. So yes, yeah. like you said, 
people can be triggers too. <laughs> they are. And I think sometimes we, because we look at what society tells us, it's just like going home for the holidays. You know, I have family members that I don't want to see for the holidays. Why do I want to screw up my holidays? I would rather stay right. at home in my bubble with my little eggs. It's in my basket. But, you know, society tells us. And, hell, there's, there's Christmas movies about people just going home for Christmas because they feel like they have to. No, you don't. Right. You know, sometimes you have to put up those emotional barriers to protect yourself. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's okay to put your foot down and say, Hell no, I'm not doing that. I don't have to have a relationship with this toxic person, even if they are family. Um, and you have to be able to do those emotional barriers, especially if you have a mental health problem, because yeah. it's, it's a self, it's a protection. It's a protective factor. Um, and it keeps you from slipping into depression or mania because triggers can trigger mania. Yeah. It, um, it's not just depression that they can trigger you. It can trigger hypomania. Um, and I had to do that. I had to cut quite a few people out of my life, you know, and, and the way I look at it is I only have so much room for people that I care about. So if you're not enhancing my life, get the hell out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not doing something to enhance me, to elevate me, to motivate me, to be a better version of myself, then I don't need you. I don't need you. If you're bringing me down, I don't need you in my life. Save that's that been, room for somebody that loves me. That's been my, that's been me on social media all of 2020. And I'm like, you know what? I don't really give a shit about you. And you're a hateful, divisive person. Bye. Exactly. <laughs> Bye, Felicia. Bye. You, you don't give a fuck about people dying. Bye. Like, exactly. <laughs> you want to like say hateful, hurtful things about, you know, certain groups of people. Bye. <laughs> deuces. Deuces. See I you later. Don't have it in me anymore. I don't care. I don't care if I might see you again. Cause that's why I kept so many people on. Cause I'm like, well, maybe I'll see them again. I don't want to do with the drama. If I do, you know, what? I don't give a fuck. And when they ask me, like they bring up, like if they bring up, why'd you delete me on Facebook? I'll be like, you know what? It's because you're a hateful, divisive person. I don't like you very much. So yeah. Yeah. I'm just done. I'm so done of clinging onto these people on social media because we had a connection at one point in time. No, if you are going to be that kind of person, bye. Oh, I know. And then it's like they want to connect with you at the in most inopportune times. It's like, and, and then you start looking and you're like, you're not even a person that I want to be associated with anymore, you know? I don't know who you are. I don't know how we ever connected. Yeah. Uh, maybe I was just in a different place in my life, but yeah, I just, I don't want to be associated with you. And I've had to do that with quite a lot of people. I've crossed a lot of people off my Christmas card list this year. <laughs> this year has been that people's, there have been some really nasty sides of people that have come out. And, and I don't think we're over with the people nastiness going on. No. I think where it's just the beginning of like, I just feel like I understand because I grew up in a very small town in upstairs in Northern New York, like Canada, adjacent, like, you know, mm. more cows than people. And there are some <laughs> very like close minded individuals up there. Like mm -hmm. I, I would say majority of people are very close minded. So because they didn't ever leave the small town in upstate New York and have never like, experience diversity because it's mainly white people up there they are very divisive yeah because they don't even realize like that 
things they were brought up with, the ideas and beliefs they were brought up with are, are, are so hateful, you know? Um, but I've come to realize, I agree. And I didn't realize it until I moved to Virginia. And I was like, what is all this? (laughs) Girl, I was the same way, you know, and that's one of the reasons that I tell my husband all the time. I'm like, I'm thankful that you kidnapped me out of this small town America. And we, we joined the military because Mm -hmm. there's so much life out there. And one of the things, and I did a post last week about this. One of the things that I realized as a military spouse is family is not always blood. Nope. Nope. Some of some of the best people that I consider to be my family are people I've met along this journey, and I could call them at two o'clock in the morning and say, "I need you," and they would drive across the country if I needed them, and vice versa. Right. Um, because to me, family is the ones that's there for you when life's not pretty. Yeah. You know, they're the ones that's there when the grass isn't greener on the other side, and those are my family. You know, I do have family that's blood. You know, I have my brother, I have, you know, my nieces, my nephews, things like that. But the biggest part of my family is military spouses, military connected people, because we share the same experiences Um, and they get it. But had I not left small town America, I can't imagine how closed minded I would be and Mm -hmm. how, I would be one of those white people you talk about um, that's just very close-minded and, oh my God, it's, it's so diverse. My family has many colors, many ethnicities, many just different personalities. It's like a rainbow of what I consider my family because I got out of small town America. You know, we had more cows than people too. My graduating class was 18. Oh, wow. That's smaller than mine. Mine was 75. Yeah, we had 18. So um, the preschool all the way up to high school was 600 people. That was it. So it was tiny. And if you didn't know your business, the neighbor did. If you didn't know what you had going on, everybody else could tell you your business. Yes. Um, So I do miss it. You know, sometimes I miss just the familiarity of it. But I don't miss the closed-mindedness at all. And I'm thankful that my kids grew up without that narrow box to be in um so yeah small town america and and the people that have really come out of the woodwork since the election just (laughs) just, not even the election all just 2020 2020. yeah (laughs) just 2020 it's been like an eye-opening year and i didn't even know a lot of these people i had so much respect for and i really they were just wonderful people and then they start posting this shit that you're just like, you got to be kidding me. Like, you have to be kidding me. You're like this? Like, you are saying, like, this is outrageous shit. It's not even like, it is like, you know, some posts you're just like, eh, that's not really okay. No, I'm talking about blatantly hateful, uh-uh. disgusting shit. And I'm just like, uh-uh, no, no, no. You got to go. I can't have that in my space. I can't have that in my space. So um, as we wrap up the podcast today, because the time goes by super fast, what would you like to leave the Inspired Women audience with? Um, Just, it's okay to not be okay. You know, if you're having a bad day, if depression is kicking your ass, as one of my friends says, she'll say depression's really kicking my ass today. You know, it's really, I feel it taking its hold. And, you know, I got to get out of this funk. Just know that we're here. We hear you. You're not alone. Um, get out of your head, 
do something for yourself, self-love, watch your triggers, manage your space, um, take care of you. You know, everybody, you can't take care of anybody if you don't take care of you. It's like the best quote I've ever heard was put your own oxygen mask on first. Yep. I love it. I love it. Take that, take that advice, you know, take care of yourself first because you can't take care of the people that you love if you're not caring for yourself. Exactly. No, no, no. I agree 100%. And I like, I like how your friend, but I can feel it taking hold because I'm the same way. I liken it to like being on the edge of a cliff. And I'm yep. like, am I, am I like on the edge? Am I hanging off the edge? Or have I just fallen off the cliff? <laughs> <laughs> you just kind of know when you're just sinking into it. Like it just, exactly. You just, you could, if you have dealt with depression long enough, you know, when it's coming on, you do feel it. You're like, oh shit. Here it comes yep. again. But for yep. me, when I was, when I first got my bipolar diagnosis, I was just like the first, when I started taking the meds and I was less depressed, I was like, it kind of felt like I lost a friend because yeah. depression, yeah, depression has been a part of my life. Like I said, since I was six or seven years old. And I was just like, what, what, what is going on here? This is not normal. It felt like abnormal to me because depression mm -hmm. wasn't there. Absolutely. It, it really does. And it engulfs you. It's like quicksand. If you're not careful to crawl out of it fast, it can suck you in. So yeah, I get it. I so get it. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. This has been an amazing conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. I enjoyed it immensely. We're definitely going to have to stay in touch. And I'm going to be monitoring your Facebook now, ma'am, to watch for the let the bodies hit the floor. So. <laughs> Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.